Good morning, church. So good to be together. This uh, brisk, cold, chilly morning, but uh, it's good to be together and worship God, open up His Word together. I want to welcome those of you joining us online as well. Thanks for being here, and especially if you're a guest, if you're a visitor here at Next, uh, we welcome you. We pray that you'd be uh, welcomed here, that more than anything, you would know how much God loves you, and uh, we're honored that you're here. Um, we're in week two of our brand new series called The Story, a 50-day journey through the Bible. And um, I want to introduce you to a new segment that we're going to do um, for the next six weeks. And uh, the name of the segment is going to be called My Bible and Me. And, and, and essentially what that means is you're going to hear from one of us every week for the next six weeks about their relationship with the Bible and what it has meant to them or what God is doing through the Word. And so I'm going to invite Donna Zedzi, who's going to kick off this new segment this morning, and she's going to um, come and share. And uh, when, when, when uh, we had the idea for this little part of the segment, yeah, come on up. Um, let me just say some nice things about you. So um, now, come on, get up here. Um, the, uh, the first person that came out, two people instantly came to my mind of, of people that I know are people of the Word um, that I know will encourage you, and Donna was one of those first ones. So, um, Donna, share with us about your Bible and you. Thank you. Um, hi. So, I was raised in a Christian home. I was at church anytime the doors were open, and I even went to a Christian school from fourth grade on. And I heard my whole life have devotions, have devotions, read the word, read the word. I tried so many things through life. Nothing ever clicked or worked for me. Then about 30 years ago, when I was a youth leader, I challenged my high school Sunday school girls to read through the Bible with me in one year. There were about six of us that took that challenge on. It was the first time that something clicked for me. That year absolutely changed my life. Let's say you had a book and you had heard that this book, chapter 25, was the best chapter of the whole book. So you read chapter 25 first. Then maybe you read chapter 1. Then maybe 12, and then maybe 23, and maybe 35. And after a while, you've read a good bit of the book. You have a good idea of the plan and the main characters. What if you took that same book and started in chapter 1 and read through to chapter 66? All of a sudden, everything would fall into place. Everything would make sense. You would understand the entire story and all the main characters. That's what happened for me that year. For the first time in my life, I saw this book as one book. And I call it one book with 66 chapters. Um, now I lost my place. <laughs> um, for the first time, I saw God in a new way. I understood him, his plan, his power, his sovereignty, his care, his faithfulness, his love in a new way. But more importantly, I knew him in a more intimate, deep, and personal way. It opened my eyes and heart to more than I had ever known. My love for my Lord and Savior grew in immeasurable ways that year. 
And then about two years ago, I found a two-year chronological Bible reading program that helped me to just slow down and take even more of it into my heart as I was reading. And at the same time, the Lord laid on my heart to buy a journaling Bible, this one, for our oldest grandchild. And over the next year, I, over the next two years, I color marked it with, for different topics. I wrote notes on truths that the Lord showed me and anything that lo the Lord laid on my heart. But also as I re was reading, I made personal notes to Paul from my heart to his. And about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I finished that Bible for Paul. It was a very sweet moment for me. But then on January 1st, I started my second journaling Bible for our second grandchild, Christopher. It is my hope and prayer to be able to do this for each of our grandchildren. It's my prayer that when they receive their Bibles that they will want to read through it themselves, that they will see my heart and my love for them, but also that they will see my heart and my love for my Lord and Savior and that they will desire to grow in the word and in their love for the Lord, and that they will grow to have a deep, personal, and intimate relationship with him mm. as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. We can clap for that. That's, that's, that's good. <laughs> I, love, I love that idea. I love what, a, what an heirloom you're, you're passing down to your grandkids of the Word of God, but your, your relationship with the Word of God, and, and they'll read that for years to come, and, and how God's Word spoke to you and you to them. What an amazing, amazing idea. Um, so how did the first seven days of the 50-day challenge go? Um, I pray it went well. And uh, that it will continue to go well. If you're sitting there and you put your head down, you're like, well, I failed. You, know, you didn't fail. You have an opportunity to get back on the, the, the horse again. And so I, I want to encourage you, friends. Um, you're like, well, I blew it. I might as well just quit now. If, no. Um, get, get back up. Get back in the Word and, uh, and start reading through. That's what this 50-day plan will do. It will take you through the major themes and story and event and people of the whole Bible in 50 days. And so um, I, I pray that you will do that. One of the things that we realized um, when we did that, and, and there's some extra pages out in the, the lobby that if you got your books last week or this week, you're going to pick these pages up. Um, you know, we, we've, we tried working really hard on this for the last couple months, and um, we realized that we are not professional writers or publishers or proofreaders. Um, or producers of printed material. And so um, we, we accidentally left Moses out of the story. And um, <laughs> he's kind of, a, kind of a big guy in the Bible and we want to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And so you need to, you need to pick up day 7.2, 7.4, 7.6 out there. Our 50-day plan just turned into a 54-day reading plan, but that's okay. Um, and then there's a, new, there's a new schedule that we put out there as well. So grab those. They're already hole punched. Stick them in your, 
Stick them in your deal there. Um, do us a favor. Don't, don't um, like if you forgot your book, be like, oh, I'll just take another one. Don't, don't, don't do that. We don't have enough um, of these. We've already printed over 500 of them, which is awesome. Uh, they actually end up costing more than I thought. They were like eight bucks a piece. So like if you're taking like, I'll give this to this one and this one, and you get one and you get one. And you, like we can't afford for you to give them all out to your friends unless you want to help us subsidize them. So um, that's that. What's the other thing I want? Oh, uh, we, uh, I forgot to mention this last week. If you look in your books, um, on the, the table of contents page, there's a QR code there. And, and the QR code is designed um, to help you. We, we're, we're doing a question and answer time. And the question and answer time um, is actually going to happen throughout the week. So if it, 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 it's mainly designed to, if we cover something here on Sunday morning, and you're, you're sitting here, and I told you this is going to be classroom-esque for the next seven weeks, but um, we, we, we won't be able to raise your hand. But if you wanted to raise your hand, write it down, and then text us the question. Text us the question. We're going to get the questions, and we're going to answer them. And we'll answer them one of two ways. Either you'll get an email response, or... Um, if it's a question that we think is a, a question that most people would have, um, we're going to do throughout the week on Facebook, we're going to do videos. And one of our pastors will get on and do a two, three minute video and answer the question. All right. So it can be about what we talk about on Sunday morning. Even if you're reading throughout the week and you read something and you don't understand. Now, we can't have 500 people. I'm like, what about this? Because then we wouldn't get any work done. So I'm giving you a website. The name of the website is gotquestions.org. And that's a trusted website that you can go to that is, is, is biblical. Um, they would line up with our theological convictions. You know, you just put it in Google and you're going to get all kinds of things. This is a website that I would recommend to you. So if you're reading and it's like, what about this? Try there and, and see if the answer's there. They answer a lot, a lot of questions. Um, and if, if from that uh, you don't get an answer, then text us and we'll, we'll do the best we can to get back to you and answer that question. And then the last thing I wanted to say is this, and then we'll get into the notes is that, um, and some of you have asked, uh, and this is very, very cool, you're saying, listen, I, I, I want to get a new Bible. It's time for me to get an upgrade. I want to get a new Bible. Um, and before you run out and get a new Bible, I want to let you know something that um, we're doing here at Next. We've used the ESV for the last 11 years, and we're going to continue to use the ESV because we believe that it's a, and we'll, I'll talk more about translations when we get to that section in the notes. There's a whole section. But as a matter of fact, you can just turn there now while you're there. Do me a favor, turn to page 49. On page 49, we've given you a spectrum so that you can, you can see whether it's um, more word for word from the original Greek and Hebrew, and it doesn't care as much about flow and smoothness and readability, and the more you go over to the other side, it's more thought for thought, and they really want to smooth it out all the way over to like the message, which is a complete paraphrase, and it's, it's a good thing to read, but it's like not word for word. It's Eugene Peterson's interpretation of the Greek. and Hebrew. So you can see where the ESV is on there. And I'm introducing another translation that I have personally been reading um, for, for the last couple years and believe it's a great translation that is a little more readable than the ESV. And so we're going to start using as well here the ESV and the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And, um, 
it will, if you're one that's like, I, I struggle reading, I struggle with kind of the, the flow and the, the grammar and the syntax and the word order and the commas and all that, like, like, try the CSB because it's going to flow a little easier, a little more readable, but still very faithful to the original languages. And so um, I just didn't want you to go out and spend a lot of money on a new Bible and then we start using the CSB a little bit and you get, get mad at me. So here's, here's the... The caveat. So ESV, CSB, we're going we're gonna to use we're gonna use both here. Today, the verses I'm going to put up is going to be from the CSB. Okay, so I think that's all the housekeeping things that we have. Um, and so, uh, go ahead. We left off last week on page five, and and that's where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up on page five and and talking about the Bible. And and again, if you're just joining us here. Um, today we're going to start, uh, I, I have a, a new, a new um, toy that they got me. Uh, after 12 years of using the whiteboard, they upgraded me to a smart board. And this morning you're going to see what happens when a dummy uses a smart board. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, see if this board is smarter than the dummy. And so um, we're going to start doing our, our 30,000 foot timeline. But before we get into that, I want you just to see this overview of the Bible, which is the best-selling book of all time, right? That's there in your notes. It, it tells us overall, the overarching theme is the main character of God. It tells us the story of, of God, who he is, um, the, the, his love for his people, and that Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible, right? And so um, that's the overarching theme, the central figure of the Bible being Jesus. And so um, I want you to see this, have this picture in mind as well, that the Old Testament, you can throw up that graph with the Old Testament to the cross and New Testament to the cross. Basically, you ha- the whole Old Testament is looking forward to their Savior, their Messiah, their Deliverer, right? We're going to start today in Genesis. We're going to see how it only took man three chapters to mess up God's plan, what God had provided for them. And so God's redemption plan gets put into order, and gets kicked into motion right away. And so they're, they're, the whole Old Testament is looking forward to this, this Savior that's going to come and, and, and atone for all of the, the mess-ups of all the people. And then the climax of the Bible, right there in the middle, or a little bit to the right of the middle, is when Jesus Christ comes. God comes down, dies on the cross for our sins, and rises again from the grave. And then the rest of the New Testament is reflecting back on the cross. It turns and looks at the cross and says, now in light of Jesus, the hero of the Bible, this is now how we live. And we're still living in these New Testament times. And so it's, it's helpful to see the whole Bible in light of Jesus, the hero. The central event of the Bible is the cross of Jesus, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Bible is all about Jesus, either looking forward to or looking back to Jesus. And so um, over the next six weeks... After we do our survey of the Old Testament and New Testament, we're going to cover um, five elements of the Bible. And, and I'm going to give you the words for them now, um, and we'll use these words. Um, and, and I want you to see, I want you to walk out of here at week seven and be like, have great confidence that, that what you hold in your hands are the words of God, and that this is the most important resource you could ever have in life. 
And it is, as we talked about last week, the best way to know God, the best way to grow, the best way to live life, the best way to know truth. And so how did we get this book? In your notes, um, this seven-part series is going to explore five aspects of the Bible. Okay, here's the first. We're going to examine in a couple of weeks how it is God's very words to us. That's called inspiration. And we're going to talk about the doctrine of inspiration, how God gave us the Bible. It is God's word. It is not just man's writings. It's God's words. And then we're going to talk about how did we get these 66 books? How do we make sure we have the right ones? And what about Dan Brown's book years ago, and there's missing gospels and all these things? How do we know we got the right ones? That's called the doctrine of canonization. And we're going to talk about that. And how we came to have the right ones. And our Catholic friends that have seven more than we do. We have 66 and they have 73. And why do we have the right ones? And, and we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about how do we, how do we know we ha- what we have today was what was written back then, right? How do we know it's the same as the originals? That's called transmission. And, and we're going to talk about the transmission process And we're going to talk about the scribes and the Masoretes and the way that they went through with this crazy process of counting letters. They knew how many letters and how many vowels and proofreading and checking and they made a mistake and they would bury it in the ground and burn it and they'd get rid of the manuscripts so there was no um, corrupted manuscripts. We're going to talk about all that (coughs) so that you can have confidence that what we have today is the Word of God. And then we're going to talk about how do you read the Word of God? Why is it that some people read it and they get this And some people read it and they say it means this. And that's called the principle of hermeneutics. How you interpret the Bible. And we're going to talk about biblical principles of how to interpret literature. There's all different kinds of literature in here. There's narrative. There's poem. There's prophecy. Right? And, and, and so how do you approach the Bible? That's, that's called hermeneutics, to make sure that you're reading it right and you're interpreting it right. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is, is how do you just read and study God's Word? What's, what's some Bible study methods, right? Because, you know, this, this is a method, but I want to suggest to you it's not the best. I'm going to read right here today. Okay, here we go, right? So is that, is that the way that God wants you to approach his word? It's a method. I'm going to give you a couple other methods I think might, might be more helpful to you to really hide God's word in your heart. And so, um, and, and what you're going to see is this is a process. You're going to see that this is a process. You can throw up that next slide. Is the process starts with God giving us his word, inspiration, and then it, and then it goes to us making sure we have his word, canonization, and then it goes to making sure that we're transferring his word the right way, transmission, and then when it comes to reading God's word, are we interpreting it right? Because don't you, we, it's got to mean what God meant it to mean, so that this is what it means to me. Oh, this is what it means to me. Oh, this is what it means to me. No, no, no. It means what God meant it to mean, and so you got to know how to approach. That's, that's hermeneutics, and then we're going to talk about how to really study the Bible. So, so this is where we're going. I'm super excited. I think it's going to be amazing. God was involved in each one of these steps, which gives us today the inspired word of God. And so um, I want you to see this. I love what Donna said. That This is one, one book, 66 chapters. I like that. One book, 66 So that you can see that. Now we're going to get to the part where I want you to turn to the timeline. I don't know if it's the next page in your books or not. And now we get 
to the dummy on the smart board, okay? And so, let's see, let's see if this works. Because I, I want you to see, I, and here's what we're going to do. I would love to go down deep and stay um, down deep. But this would turn into a 10-year series, right? If we just went through all the... So we're going to stay at a 30,000-foot view. This is your captain speaking and let you know that our altitude is going to be about 30,000 foot. And so we're just going to hit some of the peaks and the mountaintops. We're not getting down into the weeds of some of the main events. And we're going to take the next three weeks and we're going to journey through the Old Testament. And I want you to understand who Isaiah is. And I want you to understand what the divided kingdom is. And I want you to understand the difference between Israel and Judah. And I want you to understand the temple and Solomon. And I want you to understand the difference between David and Daniel and Moses and Abraham and all of this. And so some of you have been studying and reading the Bible longer than I've been alive. And this might be elementary to you. Some of you, this is like the first, you're like, I don't even know the difference between Adam and Eve and, 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 and Jesus. And so um, this is going to be 30,000 foot view, but I think it's going to be really, really helpful for you. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to, is to draw along with us on your timeline. You two at home, draw along on your timeline. Fill in the things that God hits on your heart. And my prayer is, is that when you walk out of here in six weeks, you have a picture of the Bible. You're like, I get it now. I see the story. I see how it flows. I see what God's doing. I see my story intersecting with God's story and how this all ties together. Now I know how to really approach the Bible because it makes sense to me. And I'm not just jumping around reading chapter 33 and then chapter 4 and then chapter 16. And then, No, now I'm going to see it all. I love that analogy too. That was great. Okay, so we're going to start with Genesis. Whoops, I'm already screwed up. All right, here we go. <laughs> I told the staff this is going to be comical. They're, they're, they're already back there. All right, so we're going to start with Genesis, okay? Genesis means beginnings. That's what the name it means, origins. The Bible begins with in the beginning. Uh, and, and so the story starts with God. Make no mistake about it, this is a story about God. God is the main character of the Bible. And so God... Uh, and there's such rich um, uh, theology in, in the book of Genesis. And, and, and everything that we know about the rest of the Bible, you've got to get Genesis. It, it's like the blueprint or the launching pad for, for the rest of the Bible. And, and so, um, I, you know, especially as a, as a kid, you kind of read Genesis and like these stories of like Eden and an apple and a snake and like, and it's like, did this really happen? Is this really? And it's like, yes, no, 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 it really did. Jesus talked about it. Like, he referred back to it, not as like talking about a story, but as real events where it really happened. And, and, and so um, in the beginning, and, and so what we'll kind of do, and, and we're going to spend the most amount of time today in Genesis, if I map this out right, which I'm already behind, we'll get close to Joseph, um, and then we'll go further the next couple of weeks. But you have in, 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 in one and two, you have God making the world out of nothing and giving us a blueprint. And on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. So we understand things like Sabbath, right, in, in, in the scriptures. Um, we understand in the beginning how God created male and female. There's purpose in design in that. 
And it says male and female, he created them. We understand that God is the, one, God is the inventor of marriage, and this is part of his design and what our world is wanting to do. And then it's like God gave us the blueprint for these things. Uh, we, we understand in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 uh, the, the, the relationship between man and woman and how husband and wife is, should be working together. And, 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 and so all of that is encoded in, in this creation chapter. And then it doesn't take long for, for man to mess this up because you get to Genesis chapter 3 and, and, and we bring sin into the world. And, and we choose to go our own way. And you know the story. Adam and Eve give in to temptation. And Satan is there to tempt them away from God, away from God's plan, and away from God's word. And so right away, right away, I want you to see this, right away God puts his saving plan into place. And theologians call this the proto-evangelum. It is the, the, the first announcement of evangelism or of good news that's coming. It, it is a, a hinting of Jesus to come. It's in Genesis 3.15. This is God speaking. He says, I'm going to put hostility. This is him speaking to the snake, speaking to Satan. Uh, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. It's this mysterious kind of foreshadowing or prophecy that God is speaking about the, the deliverance to come. He will strike your head. He's going to give you the death blow, but you're going to wound or strike at his heel. And, and so it's this kind of cryptic um, uh, prophecy about uh, a savior that's going to come and, and crush the head of the enemy, strike the head of the enemy. And so, right away, God's redemption plan goes in. It's, it's amazing when you think about it. Three chapters in the Bible, man screws everything up, and God's like, all right, I'm going to save this. I'm going to rescue this. And then you read chapters four, and then you read chapters five, and man gets way worse. I mean, you got, in the first family, you got a brother killing a brother, right? And wickedness, it, it, it just multiplies, and that's kind of the way it goes in the world. Sin kind of begets sin. It snowballs, and that's what happens with sin. Sin doesn't kind of just stop itself. Sin continues to go that way until you, you get to Genesis chapter 6. And so in Genesis chapter 6, God is saying this in verse 5, When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, listen, and that Every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. We're about to go into the flood, and I want you to see this, that this is this breaking God's heart. This is, he made man to be with him forever and to enjoy him forever, and man has essentially chosen to slap God in the face and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go the way I want. And God is just crushed. Some of you parents, you know exactly what that feels like. When you, 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 you love and you shepherd and you speak truth and you provide and you guide. And, and your kids just, uh, and you're just grieved. You're just, you're just saddened. That's, 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 that's God here. Grieved. And the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth. 
Together with the animals, creatures that crawl, birds of the sky, I regret that I've made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. And so, just by way of side note here, listen. It's a reminder to us that there is consequences to sin. It's a reminder to us that there is right and wrong. There is a standard of truth. And you and I don't get to determine that. And as much as our culture wants to tell us, well, you have your truth, and you live your truth, and you live your truth, there's one standard of truth, and it's God and his word, the creator, the one who made everything and put everything in play and then set up the rules. And they were good. They were for our benefit. They were loving rules. It was put there not to hurt us, to help us. And when we rebel, there's consequences to that. Um, But God continues to pour out grace and mercy, and we're introduced now to this guy named Noah. And, and, and so that's Genesis chapter 6, and, and, and the, the first kind of main, other than Adam and Eve, the first main person that we meet in the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, Noah. And um, Noah is what in, in the Bible is called a type of Christ. Um, theologians call a type of Christ. Let me give you a definition. This isn't in your notes. This is an add-on. Um, a type of Christ is this. If you could throw up that definition up there. It's a, a person or an object. If you don't get this, it's okay. I will put it on our Facebook page. A person, an object, or an event in the Old Testament that represents or foreshadows the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so a type of Christ, they're, there's, they're all scattered throughout the Old Testament of a hint of what's to come, this foreshadowing of the Savior that's come. And so get this, here's the first one, is that God is going to provide salvation through mankind through this ark, through this thing of wood, this instrument of wood that is going to allow the world to continue to exist and provide salvation to mankind where later on God would use a different instrument of wood, the cross of Jesus Christ, to bring salvation to the world. And you're going to see these different people. We're going to see another one here in a minute. Different events, different symbolism of the temple and the instruments in the temple that all point towards Jesus. And that's, that's what Noah is. And so... Um, Noah and his family get in the ark. They come out of the ark. You have seven, eight, nine, ten of them repopulating the earth. And it only takes another five chapters again for this snowball of sin to continue to go all over again. Till you get to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, they're like, hey, we got an idea. They figured out how to make bricks. Let's make a tower to heaven and let's be God. Let's be like God. And God said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. And in Genesis chapter 11, God touches their tongues and gives them all different languages and they start talking and it sounds like babble to them because they can't understand one another. And verse 9 of Genesis 11 says, Therefore it is called Babylon. Well, that name sounds familiar. It should. Remember that name, Babylon. Because it's going to show up. Remember Daniel? You're with us in the book of Daniel. And there was a a nation that rose up. (laughs) Daniel is about, you know, uh, uh, a couple thousand years later of when a nation rises up. And uh, where did this nation rise up from? Well, it's these bad dudes 
that were called Babylonians, and, and they end up scattering all over the place, and, and uh, they turn into a powerful nation a couple of years later. God confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Um, Babylon then throughout the Bible, if you read Revelation, and, and, and Babylon shows up there and shows up in the Old Testament 280 times in the Bible, the word Babylon is used, not just talking about the nation of Babylon like in Daniel. It's used as a, as a symbolism of sin and wickedness and rebellion against God. And, and, and so to be Babylonian-like is just, it's all encapsulated in that rebellion against God. And so God says this, um, I'm, starting, I'm starting over. I, 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 I'm going to try to, to work with the world in a new way. And so most theologians break up Genesis into two parts. Chapters 1 through 11, where God is dealing with like the whole world, and God's like, let me, let me try this again. Let me start with a man, and I'm going to build myself a special people out of that. And so then you have chapters 12 through 50, the rest of Genesis, where God starts working through an individual man. And, and that man's name is Abraham. Actually, it's not Abraham yet. His name is just Abram. We're calling him Abe. And God comes in, in, in Genesis chapter 12 and, and makes a promise to, to Abe uh, and, 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 and says these words to him. Let's, let's just look at it together. He says, the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your land, go from your relatives, go from your father's house. I want you to leave to the land that I'm going to show you. He didn't even tell him where. Sometimes God asks us to do hard things. I want you to get up and I want you to go. Where? I'll show you. When? When I do. Just go. I'm going to make you into a great nation, verse 2. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I want you to catch this. This is important. God's making a promise. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. He's a promise keeper, right? I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, Abe. So Abram went. He obeyed as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. His nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Yeah, they, 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 they lived longer back then. 75 years old still was old back then. Um, it was beyond the childbearing years, right? And so God promises three things to Abraham here. And this is important because this is going to tie in to even today the nation of Israel. Because this is what you and I just read is the birthing of the people of God, the nation of Israel. And he promised them three things. He promised them land. And he promised him that he was going to be a nation. He promised him offspring. And he promised that I was going to bless you and you're supposed to bless others. And this is important, church. This is important. Don't miss this. Write this down. It's not in your notes. Write this down. This is God's strategy to reach the world. To work with a group of people that know him, that are his people, so that he can then reach other people 
through his people. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. And then Jesus came and Israel said, nope. Seriously? And that's why Jesus stood up in the book of Matthew and cried over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you. How I longed. Like they rejected his own. Their own. And so then Paul then said, let's turn to the Gentiles then. And this new thing, this new people of God starts in the New Testament called the church. Same strategy. God's people, let me work with my people, bless my people, not so that they can keep it all themselves, so that they can turn around and then bless the other nations around them, the people around them, so that they can know, what do you know that I don't? It's, it's who I know. It's, it's my God. And so that is God's strategy to reach the world through the Old Testament and New Testament is to have for himself a people. And so God promises these three things to Abraham. 75 years old. God comes to him again in chapter 15 and reinstitutes the covenant. And then again in chapter 17 and says, just in case you forgot, look up. And I want you to see the stars in the sky. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And God tells all this to his wife. or Abraham tells this to his wife, Sarah, and she laughs. And says, this is impossible. I'm old. There's no way I'm having a kid. We don't have any kids. Here, take my maidservant, Hagar. Have a, have a kid through, through her. And, and so Abraham has a son. And his first son is named Ishmael. Took the situation into his own hands. Didn't wait. Didn't trust God. And had Ishmael. Not the, the way God wanted it done. Not the child of the promise. 14 years later. 14 years later. He has his boy Isaac. Through Sarah. These two brothers would grow up to be enemies. The, the mom. The maidservant of Ishmael. And Sarah didn't get along. Sarah, Abraham's wife, got very jealous and said, send him away. And so what you have right now and what many scholars believe and what the Muslims believe, if you read their Quran and you talk to them, is that this is their line. Ishmael gets sent away. It gets sent away into the desert and births a nation that become known as the Arab people. Isaac, you're going to see, becomes a nation unto himself through his lineage. And so here you're going to have, you want to know why there's no peace in the Middle East? Because you go way back here, and you have this conflict that started with these stepbrothers, that grew into these nations and why there's hatred for one another. It goes all the way back to, to Genesis. <laughs> this might be a 20-part series. This might turn into long. As I didn't, we didn't get anywhere near where I wanted to go. All right. You're all listening great. I'm, I'm not talking fast enough. The Bible's so rich. Let me give you this. Worship team, come as I give this, and we're going to close with this. Because you need to see, I want you to see the patriarchs. This is why we spent so much time with this, right? You have Abraham, 
Isaac. Isaac is then going to have his own son. He gets two of them. He has Jacob and Esau. He has twins. Jacob is the second born. He's born holding out onto his brother's heel. Jacob's name means deceiver, and that's what he grows up to be. He deceives his older brother out of the birthright. And Jacob, through four different women, ends up having 12 boys. Hold on, hold on. I'm not done yet. One, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12. Number 11 is very special. His name is Joseph. And he ends up getting a special coat. And that's where we're going to stop. And that's where we'll pick up next week. But I want you to see, I want you to see that God begins working through a family. And this family is going to eventually turn into, because <laughs> God, God ends up coming down and wrestling with this deceiver. God shows up in human form at a place called Peniel and wrestles with Jacob. And Jacob's wrestling with him. And he, and, and, and he won't let go. And, and it says this um, in Genesis 32. Your name will no longer be Jacob, God said. It will be Israel because you've struggled with God and with men. And have prevailed. And so God changes this guy's name from Jacob to Israel, which is where the nation of Israel is going to come from. He has 12 sons, and this is going to turn into the 12 tribes of Israel that's going to then carry our story through the rest of the Old Testament. All about Israel. It all comes back here. So this is where we're paused. All right, guys. Thanks. Now I get rid of this thing. So. God's at work, church. God is alive and active. There is truth. There is standards. There is right and wrong. There is consequences. And then God wants to give grace. And so we're going to continue to, to learn about the story of God and the story of grace. And I pray that this will impact your heart, not just here, but right here. So let's pray. Father, we come today and we pray that you would continue to impact our lives, Lord, that what we know about you would deepen our love for you, that we wouldn't just learn stuff about you, but God, it would change us. You gave us your word to change us. So God, do that, I pray. I pray that this week would be rich in our times with you. Speak to us, God, through your word. Thank you that we have it. What a gift. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Let's close.